Hello, this is episode 58 of the Tomato Timer, and I have a good friend and fellow Diana Legacy Award recipient joining me today, Ali. Ali is the founder of The Starving Artist. She holds a BFA in Visual Arts and Art History from Queen's University and an MLIT Curatorial Practice in Contemporary Art from the Glasgow School of Art. She is currently lecturing at the University of Glasgow, and she is continuously interpreting, communicating, and facilitating her work to make a difference in society. We would like to note that in this episode, we're going to be discussing themes around eating disorder, body images, mental well-being. So please be careful and be cautious of what we'll talk about in the next few minutes. Ali, it's so good to have you. Thank you for joining me. Oh, no problem. I'm so glad to be here. <laughs> Ali, I want to kick right off by talking about the starving artist. I want to understand what it is, how it all started, and what, how is it making a difference? Oh God. Okay. Well, uh, let's get right into it then. So the starving artist I started in 2018, it's basically um, an artist initiative that focuses on using the artistic voice to spread awareness about the lived and experience of mental health issues. So we really focus on eating disorders, body image, and the idea of being unwell. Um, I do a lot with the starving artists. I do exhibitions all over the world. I do campaigns artist talks, workshops. Um, I wrote two books on the subject. One has over 25 international artists and the other one's on my own lived-in experience. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of this, um, the sales from say artworks and publications goes towards the Starving Artist Scholarship Fund. And um, that's an, a charity that I started in, underneath or really just, what do you call it? Um, yeah, it's really a scholarship fund to help people access inpatient treatment. So um, that's kind of like the gist of what I do. <laughs> yeah. And but the thing is that it, if, if I remember correctly, the starving artist started something as for you, but then it, it turned into something that artists all over the world wanted to get involved with. The movement itself resonated with so many people. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I can give you um, a little bit more detail. So for myself, I've had an eating disorder since I was about 13, and I got diagnosed around 17. So um, not only myself, but my sister had an eating disorder. And I realized that growing up in a family where my sister, her eating disorder, she recovered fully within um, less than a year, where my one lasted over seven years. I realized that within my own family, there was such a diverse understanding of what eating disorders are. Why didn't I recover like her? Um, mm. Within treatment teams, they approach us completely differently. And I realized that nobody really understands what it's like to struggle with an eating disorder. I think even my own versus my sisters versus everyone that I met, it's been incredibly deep and really grim, honestly, to look at the profound effects of an illness on the body. So that's kind of where this voice I found needed to be like spoken about. So mm. this was for my um, master's dissertation. It started off as just one exhibition and collaboration with a bunch of artists. And then from there, like it got picked up by over 30 universities worldwide, like the publication for it. And I'm actually doing my PhD in the topic right now. So it's, um, that's with the University of Southern Queensland. But um, but yeah, so really there was this traction that came and so many people want to contribute. And there was such a strong need for different voices to be heard about what mm -hmm. it's like to live with an eating disorder. Cause it's not just carrot sticks and treadmills. It's really, really um, profound the effects of living in an unwell body. Art is often 
sometimes siloed away when we talk about activism and work on in on ter, in terms of social mission it it seems like you often have you go to kind of these festivals and you might have exhibitions and films but oftentimes it's considered artists are considered a different part of the of the movement um i i, I don't consider myself an artist uh, but i have a deep appreciation for it um and i know it, it there there's such a again profound effect on our emotional and our kind of perspectives the way what we see what we what we hear what we engage with uh, makes on us um and in that way art is incredibly important so as an activist who uses art as her medium to to share her mission to share her work to share her ideas and to to empower others what does it mean what's the difference and how how do you how do you see other artists taking a similar stance or approach yeah um i think most of the time art has been used as an accessory to the main focus mm. of a campaign so art is that visual component that kind of edifies what's going on behind the scenes where in my work i use art as the forefront for these conversations mm-hmm. when you're handling a very sensitive subject like eating disorders or um, sexual abuse and trauma these are things that most people don't really feel comfortable sharing with. And there's Mm -hmm. a very rarely a right time and space to have these conversations and to make sure they're handled properly. Um, Like I mentioned, my background is in museums, curatorial studies and visual art. So what I normally do is create an exhibition that has an entrance strategy. So how can we protect people going in? How can we create an environment that is safe, but also facilitates these conversations Mm -hmm. and using the artwork as a branching point for these conversations for other people to share their experiences? And then I have an exit strategy. So how can we leave people um, feeling informed, but also um, not triggered and not vulnerable afterwards? Mm -hmm. So I think art is a great way to actually put these conversations at the forefront rather than being an accessory. So I really hope that other people start to use this approach more, but I also think there's a lack of um, acknowledgement of the power of art within interdisciplinary studies. Yeah. So most of the time you think um, like medical and social, but you don't really think about art and like medical or art and psychology. Right. So it's Mm -hmm. really good just to, show that the work actually has a lot of grounding for um, having a large impact, which it has, and it's great. Absolutely. And I want to kind of touch upon another kind of point you made, which is around the fact that art is able to communicate things which are difficult to talk about conventionally. They're taboo topics. Um, And because of the interpretability of art, the fact that you can take away what you wish to see in it, um, allows you to communicate a wide range of topics and almost it's 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 weird because you can almost personalize it right because every every piece would have a different meaning to someone and it would make them feel in a different a different way and it could leave them feeling happier or or more more informed or and and all these kind of pieces how, how does how does that come about in your work do, do you plan it out or do you kind of let um to some extent let your art speak for yourself Oh gosh, Um, you you asked the tough questions today, (laughs) but um, I think for me, um, within my own artist practice, I use um, a methodology called autoethnography, which means that I act as an insider researcher. So I use my own experiences, stories, and feelings to generate art. 
So a lot of my work gives you a glimpse into what I experienced in the past or feelings. Um, it can be through certain themes like control, trauma, or it can be through um, allegorical imagery or metaphors. Mm -hmm. But all, all of it is just derived from my own personal experience. So then you see a little girl suffering from an eating disorder or you see um, I, I use cake a lot. I love cake. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I use that imagery a lot. But then um, for me, they have personal significance. But for other people, they may see their own daughter who has been um, suffering from an illness or they may see someone that they work with and they understand, oh, this is why um, uh, Johnny doesn't actually want to eat at group dinners because he's just not comfortable in that environment. So I share my own personal experiences, but I want other people to understand what their loved ones and their peers are going through through this one example. But then I also have other artists who, who do it completely differently. And I love yeah. that. So, yeah. <laughs> it's the variety too. I wanted to kind of expand on the topic itself a little bit more and, and feel free to go as deep or as, as surface level as you, as you wish. Um, on this topic of eating disorder, but also mental well-being and body image and, and the kind of the great challenges that are coming about due to social media and the and the media that we are being exposed to on a day-to-day -day basis and especially bringing it back to i know there are so many different uh segments of the world or segments of population which are facing these issues but bringing it a little bit closer to home which is students at school um, um from from the, these are some of the issues but you know things like bullying come about of it and and there are so many other kind of challenges that we we brush away because they don't fit they're, they're not pretty to talk about but they affect so many young people every single day and I would love to just I, I don't really have a question but I just wanted to hear your thoughts on the the challenges that young people and especially students at kind of a prepubescent or puberty ages face when when they're going through when they're going through schools and a very um, active kind of community of young people around them Oh gosh, it's tough. Um, as someone who's been through it, we all know that it's one of the most difficult things. You're trying to find yourself, but mm -hmm. also struggling to form an identity while trying to understand other people at the same time. Mm -hmm. I think also the impact of social media showing you these idealized and idealized bodies has been heavily impacting the way that we perceive ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um Within my work, I really try to focus on authenticity and vulnerability. So mm -hmm. showing us that it's okay to talk about mental health. And if you're not comfortable to talk about it in, um, in just like a public space, you can do it through other forms and then use that to bridge conversations. Mm -hmm. But I also think that when you're dealing with mental health as a young person, you really just need to focus on staying true to yourself. There's a sea of information out there. There's a sea of what you should be, but you need to focus on what you truly want to be. And I think um, for myself, I found that through art, but through other people, it can be music, sports, activism. And I think that's really important. I want to kind of like share my own experiences because of course, you know, we, we look back and we realize some of the challenges we faced at school. And I went through a kind of pretty kind of tough bullying phases during my, my school life as well. And I think I felt the same way about trying to figure myself out because I had informed myself. I was, I was still very, very kind of, you know, in the works. And at the same time, um, to be able to 
learn from others because yes at the same time i had I had incredible friends and, and some of my best friends are still friends to date and and i learned a lot from them and their kind of perspectives on the world um and this chat the combination of not knowing who you are but also not wanting to just fit the mold but also trying to learn from the others around you is 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 quite it's quite contradictory it's almost like a paradox i i wonder what you think about navigating that type of space where what do you what do you fall back on to i have i have an inclination of an answer to this but i wonder what you think before i before i before i share my own yeah i mean firstly i relate i was definitely that kid that got picked on way too often and it really just left me feeling like i wasn't worthy and that mm. i shouldn't um i should cater myself to other people so i always tried yeah. to look after the voices of others and take care of others but then neglected myself and um it took me a while to really understand that you need to stay true to your values and so if mm-hmm. you believe that like you're a good person you want to help people you um you don't you don't need to wear makeup or um you don't need to go to the gym five times a week and just realizing that there's certain things that you can say that i don't need to listen to other people because i know in my heart what i'm doing is right and i think that's probably the best advice i can give I mean, I'm also a stubborn person. So mm-hmm. um, when someone tells me, oh, you have to do something, I'll do the exact opposite. And just knowing that um, if you stay true to who you are, it's probably the best way to really understand that you don't need to give in to other people or give in to really the world at large. Just focus yeah. on you and your voice and your mission. Yeah, and I was going to say the exact same. I was going to go back to my own values and and those core values, which are, even at that age you start to you start to be aware of maybe you can't articulate to to the kind of in, in words or anything like that but you do know what makes you tick you know what what is important and what is what is what you value the most and so those coming back to those core pillars in your life uh, can remind you why you're here and it will it can provide the strength as well to move forward the other kind of piece i want to talk about is is kind of still in this within the same kind of uh, kind of context is looking for a support network and i wonder whether you had anything ali um during the time because we tend to and and rightly so you feel very very alone when you're in these challenges and yet there are often people who are looking out for you um whether it's your parents whether it's your close friends whether it's um even um, you know aspects of your life avenues that you use to feel better they they can act as support systems and it's important to identify and 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 kind of use it as as best as possible because it's those times which is which is critical for you to have all the support that you can get you can get right um is is there anything else to add on that ali that y- you've you found especially during those ages i think um from my experience i had a lack of support so a lack mm-hmm. of understanding from my peers my family and the mental health teams that i was involved with mm-hmm. so i would say look for support systems that truly are in the best interest to help you not yeah. help them but really mm-hmm. just um brand, like branch out there's so many more opportunities now and like resources than i had when i was struggling at my worst um, but I also think you need to really focus on supporting yourself. Um, Alan de Bottom, one of my like favorite um, philosophers, he basically says that you need to take care of yourself 
and take care of the young child that you once were. So um, for me, like as a kid, for example, like I loved animals and growing up, I always had a soft spot for animals and that mm-hmm. eventually led me to becoming vegan. And I've been vegan for 10, 11 years now. So really just staying true to supporting your younger self and what would nourish and foster the younger self to grow. And I think that's one of the best ways you can help support yourself if the external networks aren't available to do that. So really focus on, again, your values, but then also nurturing that child within you. Yeah, I love that. I think I still have that younger child inside me that I, I, I let out every time I go out for my, what, all of my ridiculous outdoor activities. <laughs> I, would, I wanted to kind of come to your kind of research now because it's, it's really interesting. Um, and that combined with the fact that you're lecturing at the age of 20. 20- Four, yeah. often to large uh, auditoriums and all that. So, tell me a little bit about like that transition from, um, kind of like your activism work in your kind of university first undergraduate degrees, heading and considering to stay in academia and and using academia as part of your work in activism as well. Yeah, um, I mean, for starters, I've always been a nerd. Um, I was that person who always took the AP classes, you know, stayed Mm -hmm. in at lunch, tried to get in like more content. And um, I I love school. Um, Mm -hmm. I really enjoy that educational aspect of learning and being able to foster discussions in a really, um, I'm going to say strict environment, not strict, but essentially... um, well-supported environment because you have Mm -hmm. um, a lot of like resources, you have a lot of um, challenges and it really pushes you to make sure that you're doing the best that you can and defending your arguments the best you can. Um, So I started off doing my bachelor's in um, visual art. Um, From there, I wanted to do a master's in curatorial studies because I really want to use the art that I'm doing and being able to facilitate Um, the environments to have those conversations. And then my PhD was really looking at how we can use the artistic voice to make change. And so I, um, I really think that academia is one of the best ways for myself to bridge those conversations and showing, look at all the practical and practice-based work that I'm doing and how can it actually make a difference in society and how we can apply it. So um, arts research is something that has been, um, I, I think more so up and coming in the recent years. So there's been a really big push for it. Mm-hmm. And as one of the people kind of on the forefront of defending um art and art activism and art research. I I love it. And so that kind of led me to do my PhD and be a lecturer. So I'm a lecturer at the University of Glasgow. I've taught at um, KICL in London, um, University of Essex for a little bit. And um, I I love it. I think that for me, um, being able to nurture and help other people find their voices, whether it be through um, academia or through um, developing themselves professionally is really important. I also just love teaching philosophy. I teach philosophy and um, arts and humanities research methodologies. So, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you found something you enjoyed. You found some a way to kind of make a living out of it too, which is really important. Um, you touched upon this, and we we discussed it a little bit earlier as well. But I wanted to kind of get the kind of the more abstract picture now of the future of art activism we know that there have been challenges in the past there is a changing narrative where do you see it going and where would you like it to go essentially 
Yeah, um, in terms of museums and galleries, I think that um, you shouldn't be looking at art activism as a token exhibition. So whether you be mm. looking at um, child soldiers or disabilities in the workplace, you shouldn't be using it as a token, but rather as a chance to understand more. And once you realize that um, art activism has a powerful voice, it's really important to have spaces to facilitate those conversations. So whether it be at a conference, you have an art activism section or an exhibition, but also have a panel discussion and ways to engage with the art more meaningfully. Yeah. And I think that's one of the most important things about art activism is using the most potential of it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting because I, I was going to ask, what what if people think that they don't are unable to appreciate art they're not the museum going types they're not the ones who enjoy going to the next exhibition um, and you, you talk about this engagement through conversation but what are do you think that's that's an actual kind of like uh, personality trait or is it just something we we choose to just like say to ourselves just to satisfy certain requirements um I think for those who aren't into museums and galleries and visual art I say honestly give it a chance I um I really do believe that there's an art for everyone. It may mm -hmm. not be the art that I'm into or you're into, but there's a way for you to get into it and really just try to understand. Um, again, it may not be visual. It could be music. It can be culinary. Um, just look at the expression and the meaning behind things. Um, I forget the second part of the question. <laughs> well, I guess uh, it, when, when we don't feel like we have a, an art form, we kind of like deeply connect with it at an emotional level. Um, we just often shut it all out. We think that it's, as we said before, it's it's a it's a it's an accessory rather than a, rather than actually an important aspect of 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 a of a conversation of a of a, of a mission. So, if if we do feel, I mean, you've you've shared some of the kind of the tips that or the kind of the exploration of different art mediums, but also like, are conversations important? What what component can be included during these type of exhibitions or events that? can ensure that more people feel like they have engaged in a meaningful way. Yeah, yeah I think for me, um, I would recommend expression and voice. Um, just being able to express your opinions and really have um, a space and like even research to back it up. If you're scientific, you may want to have like a bunch of data and say like, look, this is my contribution of what I'm doing to the world. And mm -hmm. then from there, you can bridge in to understand other people. So I think it's also showing what you bring to the table, but then also trying to understand others. Yeah. And um, I think that's a really good way just to tie it in. Yeah, making spaces for it as well, making it yeah meaningful. Um, we're coming to the end of the episode and I don't know how it passed so quickly, but the one thing I wanted to kind of uh, end with and, and get your thoughts on um, is the, the way you took kind of you, the direction of your life in, in ensuring that the challenges you faced were not simply challenges that you faced alone, but you took uh, to the, to the world and you used as, as a starting point, as a conversation, as, as hopefully an impact that other people can feel as well. Um, and many are out there who, who may be in a similar situation uh, in different contexts. But what part of your journey would what like during your journey, what piece of advice would you want to share with young people who are in a similar position, who want to take their kind of challenges and turn them into things that actually can remedy those challenges, can impact the whole world? I think for me, um, what I learned was that 
when you struggle with something, it's a sign that there's a need for it. So um, when I struggled with um, my eating disorder and the lack of understanding around it, I realized there was a need for this voice to be heard. And I think people mm -hmm. need to realize that the power within their own voice is really important. So take that step and try to be that person. If you're not comfortable doing it on your own, work with a team, work with a company, work with a charity, really just try to get involved in whatever way you feel comfortable. But as you know, like anything that you struggle with is really important to try to overcome. So figure out whatever way works best for you guys and don't be afraid. I think that's probably the most important thing because you're not the only one going through it. You're not. Thank you so much, Ali. It's been such a uh, moving and poignant conversation and I'm sure many people will take a lot out of it thank you for your time thanks super and thanks enotes <laughs> have a lovely day thanks